And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Come on, Pastor Zach. <laughs> you know, uh, almost six years ago, we were looking for a new youth pastor. And um, I'm so glad we met Zach and Lacey Barnes. We'd been praying, saying, God, send us somebody who will sincerely care for the welfare of Evangel, who will care not just for the kids and not just for the college students, but also for the older folks. And Zach is a true pastor. He's a, he's a wonderful young man of God. He's got a lot of wisdom, and he has served us in such a superb way. He's just been such a blessing in so many ways, he and Lacey both, and we're going to miss him. But we're excited for what God's got ahead for them. And, uh, you know, Zach, I would say this to you. Faithful is the God that has called you, who will also bring it to pass. And we're so privileged to have you preach the word for us today. I want you to welcome Brother Zach Barnes. Thank you. Wow. Amen. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Pastor. Thank you to Evangel Church family and all our students and youth leaders and everyone. That was a really touching video. And um, it's an honor to be with you this morning. And I want to share definitely from my heart. Um, you know, God has, uh, you know, I remember that first Sunday here. And I remember uh, many of, I'm looking through the crowd and I see a lot of faces, a lot of, a lot of memories, a lot of trips, a lot of uh, um, late night, uh, uh, just time here, just working on things and uh, doing things together. So there's a lot of memories that we'll cherish forever um, uh, and just a lot of opportunities to grow and become who God's called me to be here. And thank you for all for sowing and depositing into my life, but into my families as well. And, um, you know, I got to thinking as I was uh, praying about this message and, and just really thinking about what to share. And the title of the message and the main point of the message today is God really does does love you. He really does love you and me. Um, and I know that was in the worship, you know, a part of our worship that we did to, today that we sang and that we talked about this love of God. You know, it was a love of God that transformed my life um, at the age of 12. I was a, uh, I, I would, you know, like most 12 years old kids, I was trying to figure out my place, my role in life. But, you know, we had been through a pretty tough couple years as a family and, and God had positioned us in this little town uh, called Weewahitchka, Florida. So we, I know I have some, sometimes we have some of our Weewall family that's watching online. We say hello to our online family as well. And it was a great little town to grow up in. And, and uh, there's this youth group and Glad Tidings Assembly of God youth group that they just... The youth pastors, uh, they had a parsonage for the youth pastor that was right behind my house growing up. So the youth pastor lived right behind. Um, we spent a lot of time over there. My mom let us go over and play like Super Nintendo and hang out and eat pizza rolls and stuff like that. You just, just a lot of those early years were very formative in my life. But the one thing that I learned from that youth group was that or that I saw in them is that they had something that I did not have. They, there was some laughter. There was some joy. There was something that they had. And I want to know what that was. One of the older teenagers in that youth group uh, actually witnessed to me, shared about the love of Jesus and about how they had a relationship, that you could have a relationship with the Lord. And I, 
that was a foreign concept to me at the time. I didn't really know what that meant. You got to remember too, that was like during the whole Y2K scare as well. And we had, this back when we had youth lock-ins and uh, we did a youth lock-in at like the midnight time. And then we, they took us to the church and we prayed and I thought everything was going to shut down. You know, the, does anyone remember the Y2K scare? Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and I, and the kid, I, the, the students, I joke about it. I tell, I tell them that, that there's no such thing as a good lock-in. I believe that that's like, that's from the devil and we'll never do one. And we've never done one here. You know, um, uh, during the middle of the pandemic, I, I think the pandemic was speaking to me because I missed the kids so much while we were just online. And I said, maybe when we all get back together. We'll just have an overnight lock in. And they're like, is that the real Pastor Zach? Are you really talking like, you know, and uh, they're like that, you know, so. I remember praying through those nights and those were some very formative years. Um, there were some great mentors in my life, men and women who spoke into my life there. And, and, and you know what? At the age of 14, I felt the call to ministry. And it's been a lot of twists and turns and there's been um, there's been ups and downs. But God has been faithful every step of the way. And uh, this is a new journey that we're going on and what God's called us out to do um, as a family. So we covet your prayers. I'm thankful for Pastor and Ms. Kathy and just they they met us when we were 27 years old. And uh, and just you guys have welcomed us and have poured into us. So we. From the depths of our heart, we love you very much and we're thankful for every single one of you. At 14, I was at a youth camp. I felt God's call to ministry in the altar at that youth camp. Um, I remember it very clearly. Uh, it was, the, it was, and I, I joked in the first service, and I'll tell this joke here because it's just fair to do this to Pastor Scott because we love him. But Pastor Scott knew us back then. He was the DYD. He's actually Lacey's youth pastor going up. And the joke is that Pastor Scott has known Lacey since she was like nine years old. So, and I don't mean to throw his age out there like that, but anyway, but, uh, but we, he's seen us grow up. He's seen us grow up um, and he was a part of that journey as well and I remember that youth camp so clearly and, and I know West Florida youth camps have been a staple for a lot of our students I'm looking through the crowd and I can see a lot of those faces that have been in those youth camps with us you know God spoke so clearly and I, I remember my youth pastor giving me opportunities to speak and share and and just learn it was, however, a, my eighth grade English teacher who was trying to teach us descriptive writing and how to write in detail introduced me to a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards. Anybody familiar with that sermon? Anybody remember studying those things? So I remember uh, reading this in eighth grade. Now, this sermon was preached on July the 8th, 1741. It's one of the Puritan classics of you know, North America, the North American revival, the Great Awakening. It, it is a part of that. It was part of American history, um, religious history as well. And it's this first time I'm introduced to this sermon. And I am, um, I, you know, my mom would joke, you were just kind of a weird kid, but you loved history and you, uh, you love, and I just, I wanted to know all that I could know and soak up as much information I could. And so I studied this sermon and I, I wanted extra credit. So I dressed up for the history fair and I dressed up like Jonathan Edwards. My mom helped me pick my outfit out and I reenacted the sermon in my eighth grade English class. I wish I had pictures to show you, but thank God that we do not. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, uh, I, I remember... I remember preaching some of the message that I tried to memorize as a 14 year old. And uh, this is just a small sample. If you go back and you can study and read this, this is what Jonathan Edwards says in part of his message. He says, 
The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect in, over the fire, arbors you and is dreadfully provoked. You talk about descriptive writing, very detailed. Um, you know, I had friends and youth leaders that would joke about, uh, Zach, one day you'll preach like Jonathan Edwards. And I, I didn't really know how to take that. Um, I, you know, and the thing is, I lo- if you study Edwards' life, he's a man of faith. He's, he's, he's got incredible sermons that he preaches. And there was, there was great revival that took place during this time. You know, and I would remember growing up and I would hear messages, you know, you know um, that sometimes would leave you you leave the church service and you just kind of feel beat up and you would feel, man, I just took one there. Like, I, I don't know if there's anything. And I, and I struggle with this. I'm just being real transparent this morning, you know, from 14 to about my twenties, I struggled with, I can't do enough for God. I felt like if I didn't read my Bible enough, or if I didn't pray enough, if I didn't pray hard enough, or if I, these are things that I struggled with into my early 20s. And I knew that that wasn't from the Lord. I knew that I didn't have to walk on eggshells around God, but there's times that I felt that way. Was I not pleasing God? Was I not doing enough? And it was just this unhealthy view that I had of God. And, and I'm, I'm thankful for some other men, even along the way, even here, you know, it, that have just spoken in my life to make me understand and help me see about the grace and the love and the goodness of God and why, yes, you know, he's a God of justice and a God of, uh, of uh, you know, of righteousness. We also see that, and we're going to talk about it today in one of my favorite parables um, that Jesus teaches on the prodigal son. We're going to see the real true heart of God because Jesus never depicted God in that way. Now, don't misunderstand me. I still believe that you have to have the spiritual disciplines in your life of prayer and fasting, meditating on God's scripture, personal worship time. You need to be planted in healthy community in a church that, that where you can grow and where you can become who God's called you to be. It's just that those things don't make, when I do those things, it doesn't make God love me any more than he already does. It's, I do those things because of the intimacy and the relationship that I have with him, and hopefully you do the same. I don't think God's sitting up there with his tablet and, te- and like logging, well, Zach only prayed 27 minutes today. I don't, I don't really love him anymore. Now, I, that's not, but that's some things that went through my mind as a young Christian growing up. And there's, you know what? As I've counseled students over almost the last decade of doing youth ministry, some of them have struggled with the same thing. And even some parents and some adults that I've got to sit with, they feel like they never can do enough for God. And I'm here to tell you, that God doesn't arbor you like a spider hanging over the fire, which is very, that's kind of weird to say, please don't do that to insects. I don't like spiders. I don't like snakes, but don't torture them. God's not here to torture you. He's not here to hurt you, but man, he's here to pour his love on you and me. He does not, he does not seek to just punish us for all our wrongs. But as we'll learn today, and as we'll look in scripture today, Luke chapter 15, if you got your Bibles, you can go there. You can turn your phone on. You can scroll on your Bible app. Uh, you, however you want to read, it's going to be on the screen as well. But I would say emphatically, no, God does not hate you, nor does he seek to torture you. There's times that I believe and I know that when I done some, I've done some counseling before that there's this possibility that we have projected the image maybe of an earthly parent, maybe an abusive parent or a loved one, and we, or we've, we've put this image of who God is and we've projected that disordered image on him and, and we've, we've kind of just maligned, like that's not, that's not the God that we serve. That's not the God who loves us and who wants the best for us. That's not the God who, 
who came to save us. There's, there's, and, and today, in today's message, I want to point that out as we really look at this parable. So Jesus is sitting down and he's leaning in to teach. And he, he started off, if you read chapter 15, it starts with a lost sheep. And then he talks about a lost coin. And now he gets to the lost son or the, the prodigal son, however your Bible may title it. And so to illustrate the point further, verse 11, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told the father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. We'll stop there. You may have read this many times and you probably already know this, but if you don't know this, what the son, the younger son was saying to the dad was, dad, you're dead to me. I want what is mine right now. And I don't want to wait until you pass away. Parents, grandparents, stomach that for just a second. Can you imagine your kid coming in and saying that to you? Put yourself in that shoe, in your shoe. Could you imagine? Because he says, if you read it really closely, he had two sons. The younger son, according to Jewish law, would have got a third of the state. And then the, the older son would have got a double portion. But... That was at the father's death, but that doesn't take place here. It's, he divides, he liquidates his assets, and he gives to both his kids what they would have inherited right then and there. I mean, it's incredible that he was able to do that. It's incredible that how painful I think that it must have been to hear those words from his own child. He honors the request. What love, what compassion, I think, that you see from the father in this story. And so we, we keep reading, you keep journeying along here in verse 13. It says, a few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. And so about the time the money ran out, a great famine had swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded the local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs, they looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. This young man was living his best life. He had, you know, taken all of his money. He was going to move and do what he wanted to do, live the way he wanted to live. But as soon as the money was gone, the parties were no more. The people and the friends that he thought he had, the pleasure, all that was over with. Where, was, where were those people? Nowhere to be found. I, I, I love how Jesus depicts that he had nothing and no one would give him anything. You think about for a young Jewish man to work with pigs, that's the lowest of the low. I couldn't get any lower than that. However, I love the very next, the very next verse as Jesus keeps teaching and telling the story. He says, and it's the turning point in this story, in this parable that Jesus is teaching. He says, when, when he finally came to his senses, verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. The humility, the repentance we see 
That phrase, and I told this in the first service, as you study when he finally came to his senses, is a common Jewish phrase. You break it out into, uh, into the, the original text. Is, it literally is a sign of repentance. It's a, it's, a, it's a heartfelt sincerity of repenting and turning away. He came to his senses. Hey, I don't have to stand here and starve anymore. I don't have to, to be filthy and dirty and living with pigs. At my father's house, there's a place for me. Even if I can't go back as a son, he'll take me back as a hired servant. He knew that he could return to his dad. You know, I think about as a parent, if, and I, you know, I know working with teenagers the last few years, sometimes they can say really mean things and they don't necessarily mean it. It's just the heat and the emotion of the moment. Maybe you've experienced that with a son or a daughter or maybe you were the son or daughter that said it to a parent. And you think about the hurt and you think about the pain and we see this picture of the father who could have totally wrote the son off. And he could have said, no, that, 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 I don't even know who that is. He's not allowed back in my house ever again. He disowned me. He said all those hateful things about me. He can figure it out on his own. And you know what? The human flesh side of me would probably say the same thing. Yeah, you can figure this out on your own. But that's not what we see of the image of the father in this story. It's a pivotal that we understand that this, the father in this story, who it represents, it represents Father God. It represents who God is in his heart toward us. So he returned home, verse 20, to his father. I love it. He says, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and he kissed him. Listen to this. He says, his son said to him, you know, I believe he said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. I bet he was, he's like rehearsing that. He's thinking that he, he came to his senses in the pig pen on his way on the journey back home. I, I just envision him like, I'm gonna, I know what I'm going to say to my dad when I get there. I, I mean, he may, he may or may not talk to me. He may not want to see me. He may... And he's just trying to psych himself up. Anyone ever, I do that a lot. Like I'm, I'm getting ready to go into a meeting or go somewhere. I'm like, okay, I got to breathe. I got to take a breath. But I, I know what I want to say. I know how I want to say it. He gets there. The son finally gets there. And, but why he can see in the distance his dad's estate. He can see his home. And his dad's waiting by the roadside. I love in verse 22, it says, But his father said to the servants, Quick, Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his fingers, sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead, and he's now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party, let's let the party begin. You know, as you study this you, and you think about the book of Luke as a whole, Luke 19.10 is a key verse in the whole book. And it says that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And, and it's building up to that. The whole message in the heart of God and what Jesus was getting at when he was teaching this parable. Because the Pharisees would have been in earshot and the other people listening would have. Is that the very heart of God is to restore and to heal and to forgive and to set free. God's heart and God's posture has always been to do those things. From I believe from the very beginning, it's always been to heal and to restore and to forgive and to set free. The son comes home. How would you react, dad? If you were the parent, I'm talking to dads in here, your son has finally come back home. We don't see 
a disgruntled father waiting in the wing of his big home with the possible return of a wayward son. He's not distant, but he's compassionate. And he embraces his son. He kisses him. He runs toward him. You know, I like to say it this way, um, and I like to think when I read the scripture that it, and I put myself in the story, I don't think that the father just went out to the roadside occasionally hoping that the son would return. I think there was an eager expectation, a longing of the father's heart that, hey, my son, my child who's been gone, who I care deeply about. Because I know some of you in here have prayed for those wayward sons and daughters and you've not given up and you're holding on and you're still praying and you're still pressing in. I believe that's the posture of the heart of the father in the story. He's waiting by the roadside day in and day out. And one day he's there and he sees the dust starting to swirl up and he sees everything. He's like, this is it. This is it. And then it's that neighbor's dog that always is running and terrorizing the neighborhood. It's not my son. So he's, he's, he's dejected and he goes back, walking back home and then something stops him. And he gets this sense. He's like, I need to turn around and I need to look one more time. And he turns around and he looks and in the wayward distance, there's his boy. There's his young son. <laughs> and he doesn't wait for him to get any closer, but he takes off and he runs after him. You know, early the Jewish listeners that, more, that day or whenever Jesus was teaching, he would have leaned in because they knew that a high-ranking official, a, a, a man, a Jewish man of esteem, did not run anywhere. Did not run anywhere. This would have, this, they'd have leaned in the story a little bit more. And I love how, it's, how this depiction of this, as soon as the son returns and repents and comes back to the father, he starts his whole spill. He's, he's getting it out and the, and the dad doesn't hardly, just lets him get a few sentences out. And then the dad's reaction is, hey, get him a robe. Get him a robe because the robe would have represented a person of honor and importance. Because back in the father's presence, there's, there, there's a place of honor. There's a place of belonging. Let me say it that way. He said, get him a ring. Because the ring would have represented power, the power of his father, the authority or the covering of his dad. He said, get him some sandals. He's barefoot. Only, only slaves have bare feet and would only have went shoeless in this time period. But a, a person who's esteemed of the family would have, had, would have had shoes to wear. That means you have a place to belong. You have freedom in the Father. And that's the same for you and me, all of us in here. Maybe you've been serving God for 50 plus years. Or maybe you, you, you're one of those wayward people here today. You've just been lost for these last few months, maybe this last year, you just don't know where to go or what to do. And you can hear, if you just lean in real quick these next few minutes, you can hear the whisper of the Father's voice because I believe he's here today to say, I'm here. And you don't have to keep running. You don't have to continue to remain distant. You don't have to be afraid to come to me. You know, there's an older brother in this story as well that Jesus points out in these last verses here. And the older son, he hears the commotion in the distance. He's working in the field. And he's returned home and he's like, what's going on? 
And the servant says, your brother's back. He was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. There's a party going on. Like, we're celebrating. Won't you come on? And the older brother was, was angry. He wouldn't go in. His father came out and he begged him. Once again, the father going to the son. All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all this time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, not his brother, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. How dare you, dad? And his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. Don't forget, I, I gave you your portion too. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now is found. The celebration of life being restored by God, it's necessary we celebrate. It's necessary that it's a party because that's the heart of God to seek and to save that which is lost, to restore that which was broken and wayward from God. And let me say this, church, this is the question I want to ask. If that is the heart of God, what should be the heart and the posture of us as believers who call Jesus Lord toward those who are not believers? Jesus, this master storyteller, this great prophet, teacher, the son of God, drops in incredible wisdom and truth in this chapter for all of us to go back and read and study, maybe today or this week. But from the start of Luke 15, we see the, the lost sheep where the, where the shepherd would go into open country, would leave the 99 to find the one because the one is that important. You have the coin, you have the lost son. God doesn't hate the sinner. God doesn't dangle the wayward son or daughter over the fires of hell. He does not arbor you. He really does love you and me with an unending love. He longs to embrace you and me. He longs to have intimacy and togetherness. He longs to be near you and me. See, I saw this a couple of weeks ago and I wanted to share it with you. One of the last slides I have here. You see, religion says, I've messed up. My dad is going to kill me. Every son or Maybe daughter says, wait, you know, you've heard that. Maybe you heard it growing up. Wait till I tell your father. And you get the like, oh, no, don't tell daddy. Don't do that. You know what? And the beginning of wisdom, the beginning, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I know the book of Proverbs says that, but it's not a shaking your boots and be terrified to death like you can't come to him. It's a reverent and holy fear because of, because it's a fear that, that, draws me in and close that I, I just have this utmost respect for him. Not that he's going to smite me with some lightning bolt, but that he really wants to restore me. That's the heart of God. And so many times we lose sight of that because of some of the images and some of the things that have been, that have happened to us over our life. But the message I want to leave Evangel with today is that God really does love you. And he really does love the lost person that's out there today that doesn't, that is maybe has this distorted image or maybe has been fed this lie of religion that they, they never can come back to God because he's angry with them. And that's the, that's a lie from the pit of hell. 
I've heard when we've witnessed the people, when we've done outreaches, they'll say, I'll I can never come into the door of the church. The church will fall through, the roof will fall through. I'm like, you're giving yourself way too much credit. <laughs> no, it won't. You know what you'll find at Evangel Church when you come? You'll find a family that will embrace you. You'll find a place to belong. And get this, we're a family, but we're always looking for new guests. That's always our heart and our posture. Some families can tendency, like, have the tendency to shut people out, but not here. It's in this family that you can find a place to belong. So my daddy, the gospel, though, says, is the good news of Jesus says, I've messed up. I need to call my dad. I just need to come back to him. And that's exactly what the younger son did. God loves you and I so very much. So much so that he would go to any length, the greatest length of all, that he became a man. He lived a perfect life. He died a death that he didn't deserve, but he did it in our place. And the love of God is represented by the cross of Calvary with his arms stretched wide and there's nail-pierced hands that still embrace those, all of us, and those that aren't here in these seats yet. I know some of the seats are reserved. Anyway, it's going to fill up again. Amen? There's a world out there today that needs to hear about this love of God that can transform them, that can save them. Because the truth is, church, we're, we're either the younger son or the older son in this story, I believe. We can continue to live for ourselves and do things our way and that will lead to a path of destruction. But as soon as we repent, as soon as we come to our senses and we turn back to the Father, He's there to embrace us. He's there to forgive us. Or, or we could be like the older son and you know what? I've been serving, bless God, for all these years. I've done all this. My time is done. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to just occupy space. I don't believe that's it either. This is a place I believe that people can come. The lost, the hurt, and the broken can find a place to belong. They can believe in Jesus. You can introduce them to who Jesus really is. And they can become who God has designed them to be. Because that's discipleship. And I believe that's the heart of this church. And it should be the heart and the mission of every church that believes in the Bible and preaches Jesus as Lord. So if you'll stand with me. It's been an honor and a privilege to be on, on this platform for almost six years and, and, and to be able to share God's word. Thank you. The last thing I want to leave you with is if you're here today, you just bow your heads and close your eyes right there at your seat and just, just listen to his voice as the Holy Spirit's speaking right now. If you're here today and you've just been wondering and you maybe have drifted away from the Lord in this season, you just just so confused, but you're ready to return home. You're ready to come back to the Father. We just, I want to pray with you real quick over you. I'm not going to call you forward. I just want to pray for you right there at your seat. That's you. We just pop your hand up real fast and put it right back down at your seat. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray right now. Father, I love you. Jesus, I thank you so very much for your love for us. And God, you saw the hands, you see the hearts represented right now. That God, that, that they are welcome back into the kingdom of God right now. 
that, Father, you would embrace them. God, that they would hear your voice and not the voice of anyone else, but that they would know that you love them, that you're for them. And as they turn back to you, that you're here to embrace them and love them right where they are. I pray blessings over this house. God, over the people of Evangel in this, in this church family. God, I believe you got great things in store. And that, God, that they're going to be a light in the dark places. And that, God, they're going to be uh, the love of Jesus represented to this whole community here in Tallahassee. Bless them and keep them. Lead them and guide them in all that they do and say. We love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love you all. God bless you. Thank you, Brother Zach. We're getting ready to pray for their family and send them out. Again, uh, our ushers are standing at the, in, in the back, and the tithes and offerings for the church were given earlier. And so this last offering is for Zach and Lacey to bless them. Who will take, because I, I often don't, thank you, Mike. I'm not able to get all the way back there after it's all over with. Here's, here's a gift for, for the Barnes. Zach and Lacey, I just hear the Holy Ghost saying that you didn't call yourself, but he's called you. And you've been obedient to that heavenly vision. And that if you'll count him faithful, he will show himself faithful to you. In the night watches, when it seems like help is a million miles away, when you don't understand, when your heart is battling fear on the outside and frustration on the inside. I hear the Spirit of God saying, faithful, faithful is the one who's called you who will also bring it to pass. As you know, God's not looking for your ability, but he's looking for your availability. And the God who you love and the God who you responded to has got great plans for you. And he doesn't show you everything in the moment of time because you might shrink back from all that he has for you. But he's faithful. And don't limit what he will do in your life. Don't limit what he will do in your life. Don't lean on your own understanding, but keep looking towards heaven because God's going to use you to help populate heaven. He's going to use you to do much damage to the kingdom of darkness, and he's going to do you much good as you bless the people of God and raise up men and women and boys and girls in Jesus' mighty name. And Lord God, we bless Zach and Lacey. We bless Ella and Maggie and Nora. Father, I just pray that even as we sang earlier, that no weapon formed against them can prosper. Lord God, that you show yourself strong on their behalf, that you would fight their battles, that you would meet every need. And Lord, I'm asking you to open doors and close doors in Jesus' mighty name. And the people of God say amen, amen, and amen. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and his church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. 
We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.